Now, I know every one of you have had visions, every one of you have had visions, and we could use a synonym, we could say dreams. Every one of you have had dreams, you've had visions, that is, you've desired something. Uh, maybe it's been in the natural way, maybe it's been a better car or a new car, maybe it's been a bigger house because something popped out of the womb, now you need three bedrooms instead of two. Uh, you know, maybe it's been something like that. So you've had, so it could be natural as well, but you've had, uh, you have, you've had vision for something uh, greater, something bigger, uh, 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 or an increase or a new dimension. Yes, anybody in the room? Okay. So then there's this word that is related to vision that I think is astounding because we use it all the time, but we don't think about what it really means. We don't think about its etymology. We don't think about where it came from. That word that's attached to vision that really, that really is critical to vision coming to pass, and every one of you have discovered this at the car dealership. You've discovered this with the real estate agent. You've discovered this maybe wherever you've gone. That is a word attached to vision that actually is connected to bringing the vision to pass, and without it, the vision will not come to pass. It's called provision. How many of you found your dreams can't come true without provision? Your vision won't come to pass without provision, right? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Just think about that word and then think about, think about, as you think about that, and and of course where I I want us to go today, we're going to try to meander our way there, is think about also God's vision coming to pass. God also is bound by the same situation in the material world in that his visions come to pass married to and connected to provision. Felt the air suck out of the room right there. Every one of you is figuring out this is a sermon about money. And you're wishing right now you could be like the four guys I just saw in the bathroom. As soon as the offering was taken, everybody was running there. I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. I had that thought, though, while I was in there. I'm like, ooh, I wonder how many people run to the bathroom, right, at the offering time. Nobody at New Horizon, nobody. Glory to God. So so this is interesting because we will hear this hyper-spiritual talk that God doesn't need your money, and we will hear this silly, silly talk that, that... God just does things without money. Really? Unfortunately, unfortunately, he too, in the material realm, and in building something with material... Just reach over and touch somebody beside you, but do it cautiously, and if it's a female, guys, be careful. Okay, so listen, listen. In the material realm, in this three, this third dimensional realm, God too needs the thing or the things related to provision that will bring vision to pass in this realm. How many of you believe that? So I want to talk about that, but I want to talk about how God gets it to you and how gracious God is. Okay. 
And I want to go to Abram. We're going to start with Abram. Remember, his name was Abram until about chapter 22 when he turned 99. So he starts as Abram. He's called out of Ur of the Chaldees. And the calling starts in Genesis chapter 12. And I want us to go there because I want you to see how God dealt with Abram because Abram is the father of faith. The Abrahamic covenant is the covenant we've been restored to. God has, God has taken us back to that promise. The Mosaic covenant was added to it because of sin until the seed of Abraham, the promised son, would come. So we're connected. We're divinely connected through Christ, of whom Isaac was a foreshadowing of, but Christ was the essence of the seed. We're divinely connected to Abraham, so we can learn some stuff about Abraham. And I think it's fun to look at Abraham because as we see his relationship with stuff, his relationship with money, then we also can see him whose relationship preceded the law. Because many times when we start talking about money in the church, which is a realm of provision, right? It's not the total realm of provision. If we need new speakers, some of you could just bring new speakers in. But I would venture to say you didn't manufacture those out of corn stalks. You probably had to turn in some money. Right? If we need a wall built, some of you could just bring the sheetrock in. And maybe it's leftover sheetrock. But at some point, you probably didn't get some gypsum, grind it up in the backyard, and then glue paper on both sides. You probably traded in something called money. The fact is, I love, I love how convenient money makes life. Amen? Thank the Lord we have a monetary system. What a blessing. Life would be fairly inconvenient without it. I've never ground up tires, glued them together, and made, you know, ground up rubber and glued it together to make tires after milking the rubber tree. I've never done that, but I'm glad I don't have to. It's, 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 it's just better that I can do it this way. Amen? Let's go to Genesis chapter 12 and start there. Uh, I'm just intrigued at how God uh, deals with Abram, who then he calls Abraham. And I see here God welcoming Abram in the covenant. Genesis 12, verses 1 and 2, and this is our first interaction uh, with Abram. The Lord said to him, so there's some kind of a, a, a appearance, some kind of a divine appearance. So many things were not told uh, in the Bible, but we're told enough. Everybody say, we're told enough. So the Lord says to Abram, go from your country, from your people, and from your father's household to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. And by the way, this journey was quite long. When Joel was teaching the Genesis series, uh, uh, she did better than my Bible school teachers, or else I was napping during Bible college. But anyway, uh, she had the mapping. You know, she showed us, you know, that journey, you know, that, and, and wow, that was quite a journey and, and quite a sacrifice. So, but part of that was God was separating Abram. He saw something special about Abram, and he's separating him from this pagan situation and calling him in into a relationship where he knows Yahweh, where he's communicating with the one true God. So there had to be this divine separation, and Abram was crazy enough, risk-taker and all, to say, okay, let's go. You're crazy? Wow, no wonder God liked this guy. 
So go from your country, your people, your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I think here he's kind of talking to his heart. He's kind of talking. Every one of us have the cry within us to be blessed. Every one of us have a cry within us. Ever since we were kicked out of the garden, every one of us have a cry within us to do something great, to have a great name, to leave a legacy, to live with credibility. Yeah? Every one of us have uh, this. And, and by the way, that's not evil. It's how the enemy will twist it. It's how we'll try to fulfill it without God, that's where the evil can come in. That desire for something significant within you, God was talking to it with Abraham and it, with Abraham here, and it's actually a very normal thing that God put within you. Get somebody and say, "Wow, I'm relieved. Whew. Not near as evil as I thought I was. I will make your name great, make you into a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse." So this, by the way, this is covenant talk. You know, if, uh, if I get into a covenant relationship with Joe Sims and somebody uh, tries, and I, back in the olden days, I might have even combined my name with, with uh, a covenant family in some kind of a feudal relationship, right? And so it might be Wolf Sims or Sims Wolf, right? And so you get into a covenant relationship, and, and there's maybe the slitting of the wrist, the exchanging of blood, Yeah. And that means that I'll lay down my life for you. That means I'm as good as dead. That means everything I have, I will spend it to defend you. That means, uh, uh, and so to one another, you're saying that we are bound together. Yes? And this is what the blood means when you sign the ink on your mortgage. The mortgage means death note. It means unto the death. And we're just blessed. We don't have to slit our wrist and make the signature. But we're telling the bank unto the death. This is what a covenant relationship is. Everything I have is yours. I will die. I will die fulfilling my debt to you. Right? Yes? So God's trying to say this over him. Look, look, I want to I I bless those who bless you. And I'm going to be a father. I'm going to be a protector. I'm going to be crazy, uh, uh, so good to you. And, and, and if somebody comes after you, I will curse those who curse you. What we find is even when Abram messes up, even if Abram lies, you know, Sarah is only half his sister because of the relationship of his father. But when they come down to the Pharaoh uh, in this very chapter, chapter 12, and, and he's still learning how to walk with God, kind of figuring this out, he kind of lapses into the old way, right? And he says, you know, tell, him you're, tell him you're my sister because you're beautiful. And so even in such a case, you know, sometimes we're not faithful, but God remains faithful. God has become faithful with the shedding of blood on your account. Wow. That's crazy good. Yeah? You're processing that. That sounded anti-religious right there. You're having a hard time with that. It's like, whoa, what in the world? So... Uh, then he says, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. See, some of you, your life hasn't even started yet. You are just about to start. 
You turning 74, come on, next year is your big year. Now, it says in chapter 6, going on, right down in chapter 6, this is cool. Abram, obviously, he was getting some really cool instruction, some instruction, I think some instruction, like Cain and Abel got in the beginning. Some instruction that was related to worship, and that worship was related to sacrifice. A sacrifice is that which will cost you something. Wow, that sounds like last week's sermon, doesn't it? A sacrifice is something that will cost you something. If it doesn't cost you something, it's not a sacrifice. That's what you remember David said at one point that I won't offer to God something that doesn't cost me something, right? So, so we, we move right on through this, and we see that Abram traveled through the land as far as verse 6, as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. He's traveling through this land. All at once there's this epiphany, this, you know, this uh, 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 probably the angel of the Lord standing before him. You know, and, and he says, to your offspring, I will give this land. So his response, he's beginning now to respond. There's communication going on. Uh, he, he's beginning to respond to that communication. And out of, we could say, reverence, out of deference, out of trust, out of love, out of what's developing here. And we don't know the, the time span here, but there's some time going on. And by the way, it took a while for this journey. Miss Joel, how long did it take for the journey? Do you remember? Do you remember? A long time. So they didn't have that high-speed rail back in those days like that. So, so they're coming through on this giant journey with their herds and flocks. And, and uh, so, so it says here, though, that, that his response, and I thought this was cool. I just thought this was just something to throw out at you, is that Abram, if you read through these passages in Genesis, you'll see right away he starts building altars. And here it says uh, that he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he went on toward the hills of Bethel, uh, Bethel and pitched his tent. And with Bethel on the west and Ai in the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. And this is an interesting pattern because I see this beginning to uh, uh, take place where, where maybe before there was a priest, before there was a priesthood, uh, before there was uh, 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 the kind of the tabernacle system, uh, then he's bringing offerings to the Lord. And obviously he's pleasing the Lord. He's bringing offerings that please the Lord. Uh, unlike Cain. Cain and Abel had the same opportunity in Genesis chapter 4, but the offering that Cain brought, which again was, these were all preceding, these were preceding offerings of the principle of the first fruits. And so way back with Cain and Abel in chapter 4, God had asked them to bring like a first fruits offering before him, and he gave them instruction on what that should look like and of course, we know that Abel brought the right one. He brought that which was a sweet-smelling aroma. And, and what he brought was uh, an animal sacrifice. And he, he brought something that, that, uh, that would produce this aroma. Uh, and, and this is crazy, but God likes, you know, 
the animal sacrifice, the shedding of blood and the burning of flesh, it signifies also that we yield to him, that we trust him, that we give up our carnality, uh, and that we're one with him, at one atonement, at one And so, you know, we see Abram interacting like this, but what I want you to see is how God is blessing him, how God is blessing him. In chapter 12, verse 14, this is when he goes down to the Pharaoh and God defends him. This is the first time we see God defending him. So God's promising him things, God's blessing him, God's defending him, and God is also, uh, it's interesting, but, but God is also even quickly... Uh, making him rich. So that's interesting. There's an increase uh, to his herds. There's an increase to everything that's happening with him. So there's, there's what would be, uh, uh, it, it's almost like God is adding to him the provision of the vision. So we see this increase coming upon him. And there's a passage here. I, I don't see that I got it. Uh, but uh, let's see if I do. Genesis chapter 13, moving right into the next chapter. Genesis 13. So Abram went up from uh, Egypt to the Negev, his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. And Abram had become very wealthy in livestock, in silver and gold. So this is interesting. God's fulfilling his promise. God's fulfill- God makes promises to him. And God's fulfilling his promise. And God, and this is interesting, God just continues to pour out goodness on him, make promises to him, fulfill those promises. And, and there's all this going on. And then we see Abram responding in building altars, in building altars, in, in recognizing the Lord, in bringing, again, sacrifice, the altar of a sacrifice. And we haven't heard of a priest yet. There, there's no mention of a priest yet, but the, the altar... And the sacrifice is a costly thing. Remember the pure nard that was poured out on the feet of Jesus? And, 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 and people around started criticizing, and he said, leave her alone, for she's prepared me for burial. Leave her alone, and this will be remembered forever. That was a costly, it was called a costly sacrifice. It was a year's wages that was poured out on Jesus. And, and you can imagine with her, in that situation, you know, what did it take for her to save up for that? What did she, you know, what did she go through to get that? But yet something moved her in love, in trust. And, and I, 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 I'm of the mind that the Holy Spirit must have prompted that within her. And that was, that was a fitting offering, a fitting offering. But yet a fitting offering will cost you something. A fitting offering will cost you something. So even before there's a priesthood established, we see Abram, the father of faith, the man of faith, uh, uh, the, the covenant head of the covenant that God has knit us to and brought us into. We see him, we see him spending resource to acknowledge God, to love God, to worship God, to let God know that he's loved. Is that cool stuff? In Genesis 13, he promises him the land. Remember the scripture? Uh, we read this, Genesis 13. He promises him the land, and he reiterates this promise. Abraham, Abram, Genesis chapter 13, verse 12. He lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and sinning greatly against the Lord. 
And remember, in that atmosphere, in that situation, by the way, this is an atmosphere in a situation where Lot separated from Abram. So what God had done with them was so vast and so big. Lot, by the way, the word Lot means like attachment. It means veiled agenda. So Lot, the nephew, had attached himself to blessing. And when you're attached to blessing, you get blessed too. But Lot's heart wasn't quite as Abram's was, and the covenant was first and foremost with Abram. So they separate because as they both are getting blessed, then the land can't hold the herds and all that both of them have. And so Lot is separated, and Abram then, as soon as he's separated, as soon as the separation takes place, There's a visitation from the Lord again. And the Lord said, look around from where you are to the north, the south, the east, and the west. All the land that you see, I will give it to you and to your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of it. Go walk it. Go walk it. Go walk it. That's kind of cool. Don't you think? Go walk through the length and the breadth of it, for I'm giving it to you. So this is, this is a great promise. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. And again, in response to a promise and to the goodness that God is declaring over him, he builds an altar to the Lord. Now these altars, by the way, he's following that which the pattern that's been set in Genesis chapter 4 with Abel. These altars that he builds, this wasn't like a pile of rocks and a chunk of wood. And, you know, it's not, this, is not a, this is not a marshmallow bonfire. Right? This, is not, this is not like, wow, it's chilly. I think I'm just going to build a little altar, warm up my hands, and just uh, glorify Yahweh for a minute. These were, these were altars that wherein things would be sacrificed, and so, and the sacrifice would be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So these were foreshadowings of what we see in the tabernacle system. Foreshadowings, okay? Which, again, I think is really cool and significant for us. So then God gives Abram victory over his enemies in Genesis 14. And this is the first time now, Genesis 14, this is the first time where we actually have Abram interacting with someone who's called a priest, A priest, in this case, is a human representative. This is not the angel of the Lord. This is not the Lord. This is not an epiphany of the Lord. This particular interaction is with a priest. This is an actual, a human who represents, a human who represents God. A priest is one who is one who stands between, who intercedes. And so this is interesting because he's in covenant with Lot, Chapter 14, he's in covenant with Lot, which means something, you know, for Abraham, that means if Lot's in trouble, I will go to the death to defend him. Wow, church should be like this, right? No, seriously, you know, if, if the Beaties are in trouble, I should, I, I'm in covenant with the Beaties. Come on, if the Rummels are in trouble, I'm in covenant with the Rummels. I just want to say this is part of why running from church to church is just not good because 
uh, uh, we break covenants, and, and where God puts his mark on you in a house and with a family, you should just plant there, root there, and then get in covenant with people there, and then go to the death for one another there. That's just a side caveat. That's just an appetizer. I'm going to throw that out at you. But this is part of the trouble that we have in churches today is we're running here, running there. We're not in covenant with anybody. Then we get in trouble. There's nobody there to defend us and to stay up all night and to pray us through a thing and to, to open up their wallet. And we're wondering, where's the body of Christ to help me? Well, they would have been there, but... Hello, somebody. So this is interesting. Chapter 14, Lot gets in trouble because he is down in Sodom and he's living there. And uh, Sodom was under the, uh, like the overarching uh, feudal king of this Chattelamore guy. And uh, so they get, you know, so there's this big war and it's these kings against one another. And so uh, the kings... Uh, uh, carry off, chapter 14, they carry off Lot and they run off with his family and all of his stuff. Okay? So Lot's in trouble and Abram is in covenant with Lot. So uh, it's interesting what happens here. And we're going to pick it up at verse 11. Verse 11 of chapter 14, you still good? Okay, I got a couple more minutes here with you. So they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food supply, and they departed, and they also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions, and departed, for he was living in Sodom. Lot was. So then a fugitive came, somebody got away, and told Abram, the Hebrew. Now he was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, the brother of Eshkel, the brother of Aner, and these were the allies with him. And when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he led out his trained men, born in his house, 318, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and they defeated them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and he also brought back his relative Lot with his possessions and also the women and the people. Now, what do you think this was doing to Abram, by the way? I mean, this, this is five kings. He's going against these kings. Uh, I mean, this is a pretty cool thing. I think that God was sealing that I'm with you. I will defend you. I will go to war with you. Uh, if you need to go out to war, by the way, if you're in covenant with somebody, this is not the sermon, but if you're in covenant with somebody and you go to war on, your, on their behalf, actually God honors, and maybe they're not even a, a, a Christian, but actually God honors the covenant he has with you and God will strengthen your hands to go defend them. And so he goes and he, he does some whoop, okay, and beats these boys up. Brings back Lot, brings back all this stuff. But this is interesting. After the, the verse 17, when he returns from the defeat of Chedlamor, doing the best I can on these words, and the, I try to skip all the ones that I can't say, and all the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shevev, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. By the way, that's a covenant meal. Bread and wine. This is the beginning of a covenant meal before the Lord. And it says this Melchizedek was the priest of God Most High. He was the priest of God Most High. This is interesting. He has this mighty victory. Now, what I like here is he's about to give this priest 10% of all the stuff. What I like here 
is that we already see a relationship existing where he's loving God and he's building altars and he's giving unto God. But I like I liked how I see this multiplied victory, multiplied increase, multiplied help. This is going on. And I just see God continuing to bless, continuing to bless, continuing to help, and then him reflecting out of thanksgiving, out of love, thanksgiving, and trust. He continues to reflect by saying, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to bring a sacrifice. I'm going to build an altar. I'm going to... And so there's this corresponding relationship that God initiated. And I really believe with every one of us, God initiates with you. God is initiating with you. God is initiating you. God is loving you. God wants to protect you. He's, he is initiating, 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 showing himself, showing himself. And, 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 and what he loves is when you reflect back out of that with sacrifice that costs you something. He is a person. You're made in his image. Are you a person? Any persons in the building? He has emotions. The Holy, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Bible says, be cautious, be careful, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He has emotion. He can be grieved. He, 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 just like you love relationship and you love reciprocal relationships, he gets so thrilled at reciprocal relationships. That's why even your worship, even the sacrifice of raising your hands is not in vain. God receives all of these kinds of things as a symbol of love, you loving him, and he wants it to spring out of your heart. That's why he says he loves a joyful giver. Because he considers a joyful giver one who's bringing a sacrifice out of love, out of trust. They're saying out of their heart, I love you. I love you. I'm so appreciative. I went out there with my 318, but I went up against five kings and all their armies, and you gave me the victory, and I brought back the one I'm in covenant with. I was willing to go to the death for him, but you gave me the victory. So this, this is the first interaction with a priest. And we're not told a lot about him, but this is interesting because things are moving quickly and gears are shifting quickly historically. And God is setting, God is setting Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob up for something historically. And through them, through their lineage, he'll bring a tabernacle system and a priesthood system. But he wants offerings to spring up out of faith and love, not out of the law. So this Melchizedek, actually we're told in the Bible that he's a foreshadowing of Christ. This was like Jesus, or maybe like the angel of the Lord, who's often referred to or believed to be Jesus, taking on a human flesh, a human body, and he's taken on some kind of an office in a city called Salem, meaning peace. And he comes out and he meets Abram on his way back. And Abram recognizes him and gives him 10% of all of the increase or all of the plunder or all of the stuff. This is the first reference, by the way, of a tenth part. 
This is where later, when the law is established and we hear God giving instruction on tithing, which is the word meaning a tenth part, this is, this is the precursor of it. This is where it came from right here. It came from this right here. It came where the father of faith, the one who had the promises, the covenant head that we're all connected to out of love, brought a tenth part and gave a tenth part of the stuff, the spoils, the goods, and gave it to the one who represented the priesthood of that day. Hebrews chapter 7 says, this had to happen so that later when the law was assembled, when the law was put together, this had to happen because when Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth, Levi, the priesthood, Hebrews 7 says, was in his loins and was actually giving to Melchizedek through Abram. This had to happen so that the giving in the law would not be seen as something outside of God's ordained purpose, plan, or will. But even Levi gave a tenth part through the loins of Abram when Abram gave to Melchizedek one without genealogy, one without beginning or end, one of whom Jesus has come to be the high priest after the manner of Melchizedek. Are you following this at all? Are you hearing this at all? I'm helping you because so many times we hear that giving like this is not in the New Testament. So many times we hear that giving like this, that's an Old Testament law. That's not for you. That's not necessary. Oh, Come on, somebody. This started right here. This started right here. And Hebrews 7 says it started right here so that no one could say what you've heard said. No one could say it with credibility or veracity because Levi was in the loins, in the seed of Abram when Abram gave that tenth part. And so even Levi gave initially and first to the ministry of Melchizedek, the foreshadowing of Christ. Are you getting this? Is this okay? Is this too deep for you? Is it all right? Melchizedek of Salem brought out bread and wine. Now he was the priest of God most high, verse 19. And he blessed him, Abram. And he said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and, and, possessor of heaven and earth. That's crazy. Possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies. Who delivered? God, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tenth of all. Now what's crazy is, immediately we jump to chapter 15. Abram offers this gift. He gives him a tenth of all. And immediately we jump to chapter 15. And I'm reading this and I'm like, wow, this is too good to be true. It's so fun to read the Bible. Immediately we jump to chapter 15, and after this it says, The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, 
and said, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, who can, who, who can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my house will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And he said, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed God, and he credited it to him as righteousness. God just keeps responding out of these love. I'm just telling you, if you are not a giver, if you want to open up the love channel of God's prophetic grace over your ears, your heart, your mind, your bed, I'm telling you, giving will blow up your world. Because giving is telling God that you're reciprocating this love, and it stirs his emotions. Yeah? Genesis 22, i got to close. i got to read this real quick. Genesis 22, this is, the, this is the last instance I wanted to bring to your mind. Genesis 22, sometime later, God tested Abram. God tested Abram, and he said, take your son, your only son whom you love. Go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there. On a mountain I will show you. This is crazy. It's another first fruits offering. Abram does it. God shows up. Abram does it. God shows up. And you know what he says? On the mount of sacrifice, on the mount of sacrifice, I will be provision. I will be more than enough. This is actually where he, he becomes known, his name becomes known as Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah Yireh, the God who provides, the God of provision. Come on, stand with me this morning. Eyes, head, uh, 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 eyes closed, heads bowed just for a moment. Come on, just begin to pray with me right now. Lord, Lord, we just turn our hearts toward you to be extravagant givers. Lord, even as we need provision, you need provision. You've got visions on your heart. You've got visions on your mind in our city, our community, our neighborhoods. You've got visions. You've got visions. You've got visions for the church, visions for your people. You're asking us to love you, and out of that love, out of that trust, to fuel your vision. That love and that trust will fuel your vision. That love and that trust will ignite your vision. Our love and our trust in you through sacrifice will become the provision that you need for your dreams. So we turn our hearts toward you right now. 
And we just say yes. We just say yes in trusting. We say yes in sacrifice. We say yes to follow the patterns that you have set before us. We say yes, Lord. I want you to keep praying for a moment. I want us to close and just prepare our hearts. To welcome the salvation, the redemption, the restoration that Jesus brings. So I'm just shifting gears for a moment because we've only got a couple minutes left. But I want to talk to those this morning that maybe don't know the Lord, maybe are not sure of their relationship with God, maybe haven't entered into this blessed life where God initiates blessing. God initiates blessing. God brings peace. God chases you down with goodness. And if you're here this morning and this is somewhat new to you or you feel kind of distant or separated from God, I don't want us to leave until we just have an opportunity for you to receive. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned. And we fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23, the Bible says the wages of sin, that activity, that behavior of separation from God, and then the behavior that comes out of that separation, the wages of sin is death. It goes on to say the gift of God is eternal life. A lot of us set out trying to work our way into a better relationship with God. But Galatians 2.15 says, We know that no person is justified by their good works or by the works of the law, but only by faith in Jesus Christ. You see, we're all doomed. We're all actually on our way into a place that is no place meant for us whatsoever. And even our good works can't save us out of that. It's what Jesus has done for us that makes the difference. John wrote in John 1, 12, To all who receive Him, to all who believe in His name, He gave and He gives the right to become the children of God. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, just for a moment. If you're here this morning, you say, I want to know my sins are forgiven. I want to know that I've got a right relationship with God. Would you put up a hand anywhere across the room? Just quickly, raise your hand. If that's you this morning, you you want that assurance of knowing that you have received eternal life, that you have come back to God. Come on, I'm just going to let it linger for a minute because if the Holy Spirit's working on you, maybe some of you already came forward this morning and got prayed for, but you know this is your morning. This is your morning. You, you, you're separating your life to God this morning. This is your morning. It's just so important that you have this deep assurance and we want to pray with you. Anywhere across the room. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come. 
just prepare to pray with you. You that have responded, you that that you know this is what God has for you, that, that you didn't get here by accident, you're here on purpose. As we dismiss and as we close this morning, just come, come and just let someone pray with you. Let them lead you through that prayer of receiving the new life that God has for you. Father, we we shout yes to you today. We align our hearts with you today. We're glad for your work within us. We receive the ministry of wisdom and revelation from you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you, church.